by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you go to 367 Addison Avenue in Palo Alto, California, you'll find there a little one-car garage that, according to the story, David Packard and William Hewlett tinkered at with electronics in the late 1930s until they formed the company that we all know today as HP. Now, that little one-car garage is registered with the state of California as a historic landmark, and it bears a plaque on it that says, The Birthplace of Silicon Valley. And so they transformed the American garage into something more than simply the place where you park your car or where you, you store lawn equipment or, in my case, where you throw all of the children's toys in a big pile. Um, they transformed the American garage into a powerful symbol of one of the great prevailing myths of American society, the myth of the founder, the lone individual working by themselves on their own genius and ingenuity until they find success. That the American garage has become a powerful symbol for any would-be entrepreneur. That seemingly every tech company that's found success seems to have an origin story that began in a garage. So the computer company Apple, a company that I buy from way too frequently, um, they have their origin story in a garage in California where uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak tinkered together, built computers together. Uh, Google long before they became the search engine that we all use on a daily basis to find information that we're looking for, or before it became a verb in our common daily vernacular, just go Google it. They too claim to have humble origins in a park in Menlo Park, or in a garage in Menlo Park, California. And then of course, Amazon, founded by Jeff Bezos, a company that we all are very familiar with, and all of us are gonna be purchasing a lot of items from in, re in coming days, right? Christmas is coming, and that two-day shipping is hard to get around, right? He claims to have begun his company, Amazon, in a garage in suburban Seattle. But seemingly every American tech company that's found success has this story of beginning in a garage with the, the lone founder working away on a shoestring budget, making things work. That image of the American garage has become such a powerful image that there's a venture capital company in Silicon Valley now uh, known as Garage uh, Technology Ventures, playing off of this idea of everything being founded in a garage. And this image of the American garage, I think, is such a powerful one because it plays on another American myth, the idea of the, the rugged individual. It conjures up images of pioneers and explorers setting off by themselves with nobody else to help them, and yet they, they make things work, and they find success all by themselves. But here's the thing about myths. They're either mostly false or entirely fictional. So William Hewlett, or William Hewlett and David Packard have that claim of being the birthplace of Silicon Valley on their old garage, but the truth is actually a little bit more complicated than that. They did build some of their early products in that garage, but all of those products were designed by a Stanford University professor in an electrical engineering lab and the tools that they used to build those products were all borrowed from a friend who owned an electrical engineering lab. 
Apple, who claims to have their origins in a garage in California, Steve Wozniak, one of the co-founders of the company, says that he readily admits it's entirely, basically entirely fictional, that they did at times meet in that garage because they had no money and they needed a place to talk. But he said that they didn't do any computer designing, any manufacturing. He said nothing of consequence that Apple ever did came out of that garage. Google, with their claims of a humble origins in a garage in Menlo Park, California, uh, by the time they secured rent, renting that garage, they had already secured well over a million dollars in capital investment. And uh, um, what's the guy, Amazon guy? Jeff Bezos, I think I forgot his name in that moment. Jeff Bezos, with his claims of beginning in a garage in suburban Seattle, that garage he supposedly began everything in, it was actually a converted rec room. It had been converted long before he ever began his company. And he also had a pretty significant investment from his parents to the tune of a quarter of a million dollars. So my point is this. The sort of story that we tell of this lone person finding success simply by themselves, a self-made individual, is largely a fiction. That each of these people, even with all of their hard work, they had others around them who supported them. They had prior research, they had friends, they had investors, they had people who believed them and helped them to get to the point of where they are. And I think the reason why this myth is so damaging, myths aren't always damaging, but I think the reason why this one is, is because it leaves us believing that we are self-made individuals, that we are disconnected from our past, we are disconnected from those who have brought us to this point, disconnected from those who have loved us and helped us and encouraged us to become the people that we are. And I think that this Sunday, as we celebrate All Saints Day, is a perfect opportunity for us to do a little bit of myth-busting. None of us are isolated individuals. None of us are self-made, but we are connected to those who have gone before us. That We are not isolated from our past and from our history, but we grow in a soil of God's past faithfulness. I think this Sunday is an opportunity to remind ourselves of a very different sort of image, not the image of the American garage, but the image portrayed by the anonymous writer of the book of Hebrews, of the great cloud of witnesses, those extraordinary and ordinary saints, those living and triumphant holy ones who have helped us to become who we are. I think that image of the cloud of witnesses is the perfect antidote to our sort of American garage, self-made kind of cultural mentality. That I imagine for the anonymous congregation that received those words first, this was an incredibly powerful word to them. We don't know who the congregation of the Hebrews were, but by all accounts, this was a congregation that was struggling. They were going through a period of significant decline in their congregation. A lot of them were kind of ready to give up, ready to move on with, just to turn out the lights and to never return. And the, the writer of Hebrews could have said to this congregation, you need to try a little bit harder. Nobody's going to help you. You've got to help yourselves. But instead, what he says is, look at who surrounds you. Look at the cloud of witnesses, those great figures of faith who are there supporting you, encouraging you, helping you move along. Look at the great heroes of faith, somebody like Abraham. He spends the entire last chapter talking about all these great figures of faith. Look at somebody like Abraham, he says. Abraham, who was called by a God he previously did not know to a place that he had never been, all on the promise that God would make him into a great nation. 
which sounds like a great promise on the surface, right? So you realize that Abraham has no children and his wife Sarah is well beyond childbearing years. And yet he goes in the face of this uncertainty. The writer of Hebrews says, Abraham surrounds you now too. What about Moses, who according to his own admission in the book of Exodus is a man who's slow of speech, and yet God calls him to stand in Pharaoh's palace, to stand in the very place of power, and to call for freedom for the enslaved. He becomes the great liberator of God's people, the great lawgiver of God's people. But what about someone like Rahab, the writer of Hebrews says, Rahab, who is a, a resident of Jericho, a Canaanite, an outsider, and yet she houses Israelite spies during the conquest of the Holy Land. And she actually makes her way into the genealogy.com report for Jesus at the beginning of the Gospels. The writer of Hebrews keeps on going. He says, I wish I had more time to talk about someone like Samson who has all of that great strength, like those superheroes we just have heard about for the last four weeks, or to talk about Samuel, the first prophet of God, or, or David, Israel's greatest king. Look at who surrounds you the writer of Hebrews says, who supports you. Who, the soil that you are growing in is found with all of these great heroes of faith. He invites us to look into that cloud of witnesses and to see who is supporting us, encouraging us, who has gone before us. And as we look into that great cloud of witnesses, we, still, we see still others. I can't help but think of someone like Francis of Assisi who is so much more than just the template for a birdbath in somebody's front yard. <laughs> Francis, who did a lot of amazing things in his life, and the one that sticks out to me is the story during the middle of the Crusades, crossing enemy lines to share a word of peace with the sultan who was supposed to be his enemy. Think about those great modern-day prophets, Martin Luther King, and the work for civil rights and that work for racial justice that continues on to today. I think of Cesar Chavez and his work among farm workers in California. I think of Archbishop Oscar Romero and his work standing up to a dictatorship in El Salvador, something that cost him his life. He was assassinated as he celebrated communion at the altar. If we look into the cloud of witnesses, we couldn't help but see someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that faithful resistor to the Nazis. Look at all of the people who surround you, those great and extraordinary figures of faith. But of course, as we gaze into that cloud of witnesses, we see not just those extraordinary individuals, but those individuals that are incredibly personal to each and every one of us, those ordinary everyday saints who have helped to bring you to where you are in this moment. That as we gaze into that cloud of witnesses, we see moms and dads who brought us to church every single week. We see grandparents who prayed with us every night before bed. We see pastors and Sunday school teachers and VBS volunteers. We see, we see youth workers and, and people who have poured their lives into young people. We see all sorts of different people. These ordinary everyday saints. Who do you see as you gaze into that cloud of witnesses? As I gaze into that cloud of witnesses, I can't help but see the youth pastor from my childhood when I was a junior high and high school student. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I had a lot of difficult times with my own mental health, so much so that I was having a hard time even going to school some days. And, and he showed up one day unannounced. 
and he shot baskets with me on my driveway basketball hoop, letting me know that I wasn't alone. I think about the surgeon who saved my son Axel's vision at just seven weeks old. I've shared this story with you all a lot because um, it was so impactful to me, but um, Axel was just seven weeks old. Axel, Nora, and I, we all have a condition that causes our eyelids to not function properly. Um, so Axel couldn't see for the, couldn't open his eyes for the first seven weeks of his life, and we were searching and looking for answers until we finally found a surgeon in Ann Arbor, Michigan, of all places. We were still living in Missouri at the time. We called him on a Friday, and he said, we need to see you as soon as possible. He said, can you be here on Monday? And he, we got there on Monday. We packed up the car, drove there on Monday. He saw us during his lunch break, because there was no room left in the schedule. And he said, we need to perform surgery on Axel right away. We're going to schedule it for Friday. He scheduled it for that Friday on a day when he had a big presentation to the FDA in the afternoon. And he saved Axel's vision. And that night, Axel opened his eyes and he smiled at us for the first time. And of course, the same love and compassion he showed to Nora. And Heather and I had this conversation in the driveway after one of Nora's doctor's appointments recently about how he is one of our living saints, one of those people in that great cloud of witnesses. And speaking of Heather, um, I would consider her to be one of my living saints. And I'm not trying to earn brownie points at home, I promise. I know no one believes me, but... But Heather worked when I was a seminary student, when I was a full-time student. She worked and supported us so I could go to school, and she read every single one of my seminary papers, checking them for typos, and that alone, I think, qualifies her for sainthood. <laughs> but I would not be where I am today without her love and her support. I think about the, the pastor when I was a college student, going through my own period of intense questioning, my own cognitive dissonance with the kind of Christianity I was raised with, and he let me ask whatever questions I needed to ask. He never, even, no matter how heretical it might have seemed to him, he let me ask those questions. All of these saints, all of these great people in that cloud of witnesses who have supported me and brought me to where I am today. As you look into that cloud of witnesses, who do you see? Who are those living and triumphant saints who you remember? Who are those ordinary and extraordinary figures who still inspire you? Who are those who have loved and encouraged you, who have brought you to this place where you are today? Because none of us are self-made. None of us are the lone genius tinkering away in the garage by ourselves. But we have others who have supported us and loved us and brought us to where we are, who have made us who we are. Who are those people that you are thanking God for this morning? Those living and triumphant saints, those ordinary and extraordinary people. That we are at all times surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And we give thanks to God. Amen.